Welcome to Cuyamaca Conversations. My name is Taylor Smith. I am a professor at Cuyamaca College. Today on the show, I will have a discussion with Nico Hueso. Nico is a San Diego-based violinist, violist, guitarist, or as he describes himself on his website, a musical polyglot. In our discussion, we talk a bit about Nico's background, about how he finds work, and what it's like to be a professional musician. In the intro, the music we heard today is a piece performed and written by Nico Hueso called Terra. My name is Nico Hueso, uh, formerly Domenico Hueso for the concert goers. And uh, I play violin, viola, and guitar more often than not. And intermittently, uh, I do uh, endeavor on mandolin and not so much now, but I used to do a lot of electric bass in college. But that's a different story for another time. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for being here, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's kind of been a crazy run around trying to get it scheduled, but we, we got it figured out. Yes, thank you for the considerations and flexibility. Yeah, no problem. So, all right, so you gave a little bit of a kind of introduction to yourself. Can you tell us how often do you play? Where do you play? Where might we be able to find you? Oh, yeah. So as of springtime, I'm currently at the Safari Park, the San Diego Safari Park, which is technically in Escondido. But but who's looking at zip codes, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's pretty much uh, every day endeavor. Um, it started uh, when, when, uh, March 19th, and, it went all, and it's going all the way to May 8th. Obviously, because other gigs I have sub-situated, you know, accordingly. Because there are other things that happen, whether it's a private endeavor or weddings, a lot of weddings, recording sessions, that kind of situation. And then uh, as far as, uh, so yeah, that's every day, literally. Um, and more often than not, the other endeavors are private because of weddings and people's receptions. And recording sessions are a similar kind of situation. Um and if I'm not doing that, um, in normal times, it used to be more productions, um, such as musical theater, opera, that kind of thing. Um, I was fortunate to do, to do hair at the Old Globe um, during the summer. That was delightful. Uh, but mostly um, when I'm not doing that, then I'm also doing church endeavors. Uh, I do a lot of community center. Um, uh, also working for uh, or, or making community center um, performances or residencies for um, older people. I, I like doing themed music, so I'll play an hour and do uh, a theme for them. Just the other day at, at uh, the V, which is in La Jolla, um, they wanted an Italian theme dinner set, so I played violin and literally just played anything from the Tarantella to Osa Le Mio to that kind of thing. And of course, there's no music. You just have to try to remember as much as you can. And they, you got to love the the Godfather theme too, and <laughs> Ciao Bella Ciao, and yeah. So it's it's a very diverse uh, spectrum, and uh, so it's more of a question of you just have to ask me <laughs> on the daily, and I can tell you it's, right, a, it's a lot right. easier that way. So well, up at Safari Park, what are you playing up there? What instruments and what kind of style? Uh, oh yeah, so for the Safari Park in the for the Spring Safari, as they call it, I'm I'm with a a fellow guitarist colleague of mine his name is tom hamilton he sings quite well too and we we do duets so we do anything from like the older beatles stuff to we're doing a little bit of the gypsy jazz or the manouche jazz as they call it now hot club jazz um along with uh we'll we'll do uh 
anything that's covered by CSAC, not necessarily BMI or ASCAP. So we have to be very careful. So no, no Eagles, no Bob Dylan. Uh, who else? There's somebody else in there. I think the Hendricks estate we're not allowed to do either. So we have to be very careful. And of course, no Disney because yeah. Got it. So you, yeah. <laughs> so you, you almost have like a list of like, do not play. Yes. <laughs> Got it. And then there's always those people that are like, can you right. do Hotel California? Like, I'm like, I would That's love to, idea. but I can't. <laughs> Here's five seconds. <laughs> and then next thing you know, t- um, you know, our, our boss, you know, our, it will be like, hey, that's $10,000, you know. Right. Like, oh, no. <laughs> so there's always that, you know. But luckily, there's a lot of other tunes that you can do. You know, the John Denver is always fun. People like Lovely Day by Bill Withers, that kind of stuff. So, And we do a lot of instrumental as well, like surf songs, you know, like Walk, Don't Run and you know, Mr. Lou, and all, I, I just introduced Tom to the unofficial, official Peruvian national anthem, which is called El Condor Pasa. Oh, right, right. Yeah, exactly. Most people know the uh, Simon and Garfunkel cover. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I was telling Tom we could do that one, but I guess he didn't want to be a ha- a, a hatter than a snail or a, what was it? <laughs> rather, rather be a be... hammer than a nail. Yeah. That one. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. It, they, they all kind of intermix there. But yeah, we didn't have our pan flutes either. So we yeah. had to kind of meet in the middle with that. So so are you playing violin with that group? Oh, or, or, oh or guitar? So, or? Uh, for this one, I'm playing guitar. Okay. Um, but there are other times during the holidays where they have two fiddles and then you're harmonizing with the other fiddle player. And, and it's literally just off the cuff. Okay, what key do you know? Christmas time is here and we're like, Oh, okay. Um, pick a key and I'll follow you or whatever. It's, it's pretty crazy, Mm. (laughs) but luckily the people that have done it, they're really fantastic. Uh, and it's always been fun. Um, so yeah, that kind of leaves it kind of in the in-between spectrum, you know, as far as what we're trained to do classically versus what the jazz idiom asks you to do versus folk, you know, and when you're kind of in the middle of all that, you just kind of have to gauge accordingly, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's why people get confused a lot of by what is it that you do? I'm like, well, <laughs> depends what's needed, you know? Yeah. Uh, so. So, well, speaking of training, what what is your training like? Did you go to school and, and like what do you, classical yeah. training, jazz training, a little bit of both? What do you, what's that like? So um, I was, I was really heavily influenced by Suzuki as a kid. I did Suzuki for, oh my goodness, since I was seven until about my late or mid teens. And then I got more intense about learning uh, rep, uh, more intense repertoire of concerti, um, show pieces, um, violin. I also did piano simultaneously, but then my interest kind of strayed a little bit because, you know, we all have our emo moments, I guess, question mark. And uh, guitar was fun. And growing up playing mariachi music as a kid, I just saw people play violin and trumpet all the time. Normal, you know, or vihuela and and violin or guitarron and whatever. And everybody has to learn how to sing. And that's just how it just came to be. So it was a combination of memorizing tunes in that style or idiom. And learning the classical repertoire, whether it's uh, Vivaldi, Handel, Schumann, um, Beethoven. Um, and then I went to school um, at Kennesaw State University. Uh, that's in Georgia. That came to be uh, uh, not only through a scholarship situation, but my mentor, who was a member of the Atlanta Symphony, his name is Juan Ramirez. He just retired a couple of years ago. And uh, he's a phenomenal violinist, um, prodigious, really. Um, also a great composer and uh could play even um xylophone or marimba very well fantastic guitarist as well um and he showed me how he composed he showed me how he um 
how he directed various orchestras. Um, he was actually in charge of, speaking of somebody who does so much, <laughs> he would lead a community orchestra and a youth orchestra, the Buckhead Youth Orchestra, the Atlanta Community Symphony. So I would see him conduct three different programs in a week while playing with the Atlanta Symphony and composing. Like, this guy did, didn't stop. It's pretty crazy. Um, and, uh, yeah, with Kennesaw State, luckily they became a Steinway Society or Steinway School when I was there. Uh, as a violin performance major, then I became viola and violin. Um, and at that time, we had amazing, amazing artists come in, whether it was the Ying Quartet or the Eighth Blackbird or Alyssa Wollerstein or James Ennis or just so many prolific people, Nico Muley, David Lang. Uh, so, and we were able to do these master classes because it was free and available to us as music students, you know, it's pretty crazy. Um, so, and then jazz faculty there. So we were talking about jazz for a moment, electric bass. Um, the jazz faculty there did a lot of recordings for, um, uh, what's Nat Kinkle's daughter's name? Natalie. Yes. Thank you. Her, <laughs> um, also a lot of the, uh, tunes that you hear from Cartoon Network, like Ed, Ed and Eddie, Cow and Chicken, that kind of thing. So it was really cool working with those individuals that made those sounds that I grew up hearing on Cartoon Network because Turner Classic Movies or uh, Turner in Generals, that's the headquarters in Atlanta, like oh, right, 20 minutes yeah. away. So such a vibrant city. I, I miss Atlanta a lot. Um, so, yeah, so basically uh, Viola kind of found me at a chamber music festival um, in France. This is the Pablo Casals Festival. Um, and uh, it's in the south of France. Uh, that's where Pablo Casals was during the Spanish Civil War. And uh, he actually founded the Puerto Rico Symphony and the Conservatory later on. Uh, but uh, that becomes a that, that his, where he stayed became a summer residency for chamber musicians. And yeah, basically one summer I discovered viola and viola found me and I played more chamber music. So anything from Ravel string quartets, Debussy, uh, the, the trio sonata for uh, flute, viola and harp. And uh, in between, just to get by, I, I learned to do, to also entertain people playing at wine bars. So guitar came to be and doing string quartet gigs. And so it's always been a, in a hodgepodge or an array of things. I can't necessarily say it was. it's always been just chamber music or orchestral music. It's always been just kind of like, oh, I'm doing this in a day, prepare for this program next week or this weekend or what have you. So... Hmm. So did you, so you went to school in Georgia. Did you grow up out there too, or? No, I'm from here. You I'm grew from up San there. Diego. Okay. But yeah, but I found my mentor here. He was visiting for, with the Atlanta ah, Symphony okay. for, for the Marlboro Chamber Music Festival or, or is it chamber music? No, orchestral. It's orchestral Marlboro. Um, and so then yeah, he, and he kind of recruited you to go out there. Yeah. Follow him. Awesome. Yeah. And lo and behold, it was crazy at that time. Man, gigs paid a lot more than here. <laughs> Cost of living was like a third. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty nuts. And people could actually have passion projects and not worry about um, their their income. It was pretty crazy. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it's it, it was a different scene. <laughs> Just the other day, they were talking about how real estate in Georgia is like impossible now. Hmm. Um, but, you know, things change, I guess, with right. the pandemic and all that and inflation. So You mentioned uh, kind of as your kind of growing up as a kid uh mm -hmm. hearing mariachi music a lot is that do you play those kinds of gigs as well um i used to play them more when i was younger um okay. because my uncle uh, had his own mariachi and 
my dad did it with me for a little bit. My siblings, when uh, we, we would go to mass, you know, we grew, we grew up Catholic, so we would play mariachi mass um, every Sunday for like twelve years, just because it was fun and enjoyable thing to do with the family. Um, but yeah, gigs just came to be, and I just started playing when I was like thirteen with guys that were 30, 40, 50 years older than me. And <laughs> yeah. That was always interesting. Um, excuse me, which led to, okay, well, learning to memorize tunes and then just learning how to do requests for people. Um, then picking up subs, you know, like, for example, if somebody gets gets sick, you go, okay, well, I guess I can't play violin for this one. I'll have to play guitar or viola because we need that support. So you just learn how to be versatile due to the sake of just necessity it's not necessarily one upping. It's just, it was needed. So, and what's been very helpful nowadays is that in musical theater, there's a lot of doubling that occurs. Um, yeah. For hair, I was the first person to actually get a double where it was not just guitars, but they let me play viola, which was cool. Hmm. And to have a double for that amount of time for almost nine weeks, that's pretty fun. And the only problem is that there's no sub for you <laughs> around these parts. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> And uh, it's actually pretty tricky in that regard. Um, I, I hate to say that it, it, I don't I don't enjoy the stigma about um, how do string players play guitar. I mean, Paganini did it. What's the deal? What's the problem with that? And I, was, <laughs> I almost sound like Seinfeld. What's the deal with that? No. Um, um, so that's kind of the, the thing that kind of gets me sometimes. I'm like, you know, if Paganini did it, I think it's OK. You know, we can at least try to strive to get a little be a little better, you know, and see that there's different facets for different people or, or styles rather. So, uh, it, it, yeah. And as far as styles came to be was, you know, with mariachi, there's a lot of different styles that get covered, whether it's Joropo or there's cumbia or there are popular tunes that they became covers within themselves within mariachi. So it's like, you're playing a rock cover, but it's mariachi. Yeah. I, I don't know if you've seen like a, uh, a mariachi in LA who does Slayer covers. No, I've not seen that. It's great. It's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, it's just figuring out kind of what's the threshold in which the group wants to do. And so yeah, over time, it became more of a question of, um, I didn't really, I, I wasn't really in that circle of people anymore, because I was doing more like recording sessions, more string trio quartet kind of stuff. And that's just kind of where it picked up moving back to San Diego. So mm. yeah. Awesome. So, uh, as we talked about, you do play a lot. I mean, you're playing every day for, for this, yeah. this period mm -hmm. and, and you play mm -hmm. a lot of weddings and all that stuff. What is how, what is your avenue for finding all of these gigs? Do you have like a, I mean, is it just word of mouth? Do you have a website? How is it that you're finding all these gigs? Yeah, I have a website and I do the, the social media through Facebook, Instagram. I haven't gotten into, uh, into Twitter just for, I didn't want another platform to look at, you know, right. um, um, but it's mostly word of mouth and just being out there. Uh, and, and that's really what it's become. It's like the more you're seen, the more people know what you can do or who you are. So when I first got here or back in 20, what was it, 2013? Uh, why is my computer telling me to start, restart? Let's not do that right now. Um, okay. <laughs> That'd be bad if my computer just started restarting. Okay. So basically in 2013, I just hit the ground running and just did as many gigs as humanly possible in any capacity. Even if it hurt, I did it, you know? And then over time it's be become this thing where people know that I'm around. It's a question if I wish to do them now. 
and uh, there are less and less of us that can do certain things, you know, like if I have to, I can lead an entire mass if I have to. Like if I have to do Yom Kippur service, I've done it before. It's not really a big deal, you know. Um, similarly with doing arranging or if I if there's a recording session, the artist doesn't know what they want. Well, a lot of times you have to do it on the fly. That's just how it goes. And over time, the need and the and the demand for it, people just constantly hit you back up again, you know. If you show up on time, of course, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and do yeah. what you're told and all that. So that that's important, of course. So that's what it comes down to. I know some people do like management or managers, and but that's a whole other um, scenario. Um, luckily, just through word of mouth, I'd say that's the most successful thing. It's just being seen. So, mm. yeah, you know, I I'm not one who. Um, I don't play a ton of gigs, partly because we've got a full-time job. Understood. Um, so it, it is, it, it, I, I mean, I have some experience trying to find gigs, and I do play yeah. a few here and there. Um, mm-hmm. But it's always interesting to me to see, you know, kind of who it is that gets them. So yeah. Speak. You know, because I know some really, really great players that don't play a lot. And then yeah. I know some people who are just kind of mediocre who play a ton. And it's just kind of, it's it's a weird kind of dynamic how that tends it to is. work. It is. I mean, without getting into too many political scenarios or affiliations, um, San Diego has, still has that element or semblance of provinciality. Yeah. Um, and uh, you have to kind of work with that. And then you just start finding the core of people that you enjoy working with more or most. Um, I can't necessarily say this is a perfect um, environment or uh, but there are things getting better th- with time. It is frustrating coming from, let's say, Atlanta, where it was just so metropolitan feeling. There's so many gigs. There's so many things going on. Then you come here, and it's literally the same dozen people. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Um, eh, but once again, try not to get too political or, <laughs> or too divisive here. Um, Understood. Yeah. But um, really what it comes down to at the end of the day is just enjoying – playing with the people that you're with and make the most of it and help when you can or however possible, you know, because you can't do all the gigs no matter how hard one tries. I mean, I've learned that too many ways. (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting too. I think about San Diego that it is kind of a, um, I think the word I used earlier when we were talking was like an oddball sort of music market. Cause you know, I mean, LA is so close by, uh, that it's easy sure. for people to forget about us in a way, sure. touring bands or whatever. But also just that there's a certain, I think, uh, a certain um, feeling that once you've made it, so to speak, that you should go to a bigger, better market or something as a, as a player. I wonder yeah. um, you know, how much of that plays into some of that too, that people like feel a need to move to L.A. or something so with that whole talk about la the thing there's a lot of people coming from la to here to gig happens all the time like i'm working as part of the candlelight series i'm one of the main ensembles there uh, playing viola um and a lot of groups that play at the other concerts or performances they're all from la but guess what they're getting a per diem And they have to commute. Well, that's a that's an entire day. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it gets to a point where there people aren't available to drive. You know, it's total of seven hours. And then as far as the other way around, 
the market now, especially for film, and if you're talking about all that, a lot of it's gone to um, Asia. Um, a lot of it's gone to um, Eastern Europe. And uh, whether you're talking about the Czech um, influence or the Latvians or, you know, or the Moldovans, I mean, there's a lot of orchestral recordings that are happening in these parts of the world. And that's great. I'm totally not against that. It's just then you get these little um, reminders from our unions here, whether it's the local American Federation of Musicians saying, oh, but they did these recordings that shouldn't happen or whatever. But the big studios still do that. And, you know, and they're like, oh, but L.A. is the place to record. I'm like, not really. I mean, <laughs> yeah. for certain things, sure. But Nashville is really big. Miami. And really what it comes down to is knowing the right engineers and knowing the right producers. And a lot of re recording sessions nowadays is from here. You you give a raw sound and yeah. you send it. And so right. that's the, just the need for yeah. the whole or the whole group to be all in the same room at the same time is not as much anymore. Um, it does happen, correct, and you're, you're absolutely right about the anymore situation, but um, because of the technology becoming cheaper and because one can um, now change it however one needs to, um, it, it's becoming more specialized for sure. Yeah. If you would have asked me 15 years ago, hey, Nico, do you know about how to put enough compression and enough gate and expander on doing this podcast without making a lot of sound i'd be like i don't even know what you're talking about you know <laughs> right um or if oh what what is this cable i'd be like i don't know it just connects to the microphone I, I don't know but that's that's the thing is that it's evolved so quickly and as far as man i've heard so many crazy stories about la where they basically find the most desperate person to play a certain gig for the cheapest because there's so many people yeah so many people and a lot of people that were there in la that went to school there um i have one i know one guy actually but he he's from poway but lived in la for a long time he moved down here and he has a lot of students and has more gigs because he's not competing with the la market right so, that was that was another thing i was going to say is that i i yeah. understand kind of the draw that people want to go there and feel the need to go there but at the same time maybe it's a it's a better move to not because it's just so saturated you know? yeah yeah so sadly there. there's so many great amazing prolific talents that are coming from these major schools there but a lot of them are just doing it for the experience mm -hmm. and you're gonna get that all the time yeah i mean you can see in certain people's posts and i'm like okay what did they really get paid or did they or was it exposure and as there's a meme out there that goes exposure kills right, mm -hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> just like sunlight exposure anyway um <laughs> but that's kind of the the tricky part is like how much does one do it because you know, you, you're there and you want to be seen or versus how much do you want to do it because uh, necessity or because you've there's always that sense of worth. Right. What are we worth? You know. Right. So that's that's the other situation that we get put into a lot. So, yeah. So speaking of, um, mm -hmm. you know, making a living playing gigs, is that is that how you make your living is through just playing, performing music or do you have other I, things you're doing as well? Um. Yeah, I coach orchestras intermittently uh, th uh, throughout San Diego Unified, um, and uh, you know, er and like early, early like eleven, ten a.m. <laughs> until about one or two, uh, when I can. I have to schedule it kind of differently every week because it's a little, little different. And then I have students, and and uh, then mostly after that, it's just recording sessions and just doing a lot of 
cocktail hour receptions, uh, private parties, fundraisers, and uh, that's mostly what it is. Um, but yeah, pandemic was a, definitely an education in figuring out how to use the most of what you have or don't have without leaving the house, you know? Um, and, uh, so that was a interesting wake up call nonetheless. Um, but, but I guess to answer your question or to further it, um, the season for most or the most busy it ever becomes is holiday season. It dies out a little bit in January. It ramps back up February. It dies a little bit in early July, I would say just for a second. And then late August. <laughs> and then you kind of have to pick and choose what you want to do. Mm-hmm. So, And then more often than not, you get picked up to do like a project for a church or something or a singer-songwriter or a show. So you kind of have to decide what you want to do. And if you can't do it or if you wanted to do it, you get a sub or that kind of scenario. So, yeah. um, So speaking of kind of with the COVID... Mm-hmm lockdown situation i i actually have already had two of your uh bandmates that i've talked with well i don't maybe you guys aren't playing anymore but i had nathan <laughs> hubbard and uh yeah tasha smithardinez on yeah are you guys still playing the, tr- the three of you i i mean i just worked with tasha a couple of weeks ago i i'm not certain what's been going on with nathan i i think he's been just doing a lot of his um tunes with with different ensemble kind of thing yeah, so yeah. that's cool that's that's no, always good right no I'm, and the only reason i bring that yeah. up is because both of them i talked to them kind of in the depths of the you know everything being locked down and um mm-hmm. they each had kind of a that caused them to shift a little bit like you'd mentioned mm-hmm. and and kind of try some new things and so for nathan it was to do some recordings of some pieces um that he mm-hmm. had not ever had a chance to do and to work with some people that were kind of in far-flung places that because now everybody's locked down it's like well we can do a remote recording you know and with tasha it was she focused on some publishing and some arranging um so i'm just curious for you now i mean we're kind of that's a little bit in the rearview mirror now the whole covid situation was did you though during that time have any projects that you did that were kind of brought upon you because of the lockdown no gigs to play well the first three and a half months were the most frightening thing ever in existence um Still, I'm still working on still it. Still trauma on that. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, working on cognitive therapy currently. You know, but that's a different story. Um, but no, I guess the first six weeks, um, I just told myself, and I've always wanted to do this. Is I, I just decided every week, I would or I'd play a box suite. I mm. start with one, and I went all the way to six, and then every day I would analyze one movement. So first day, first movement, and then keep going. So I did a whole chordal analysis, play through it. And then by the end of the week, you just play through the entire thing. And then next week you play the whole first suite and then you go start with the second suite. And after you do that about three times over, uh, um, figuring out how to make zoom and or other platforms to record, um, became perfected. And uh, this became the battleship, you know, <laughs> battle stations, you know. Um, and uh, also was fortunate to work on a uh, PBS um, documentary on the Valle de Guadalupe. I did from here, my studio here, and did some, um, what do you call that? Um, f- 
film scoring, if if you will. Um, <laughs> but it was mostly just ambient, just trying to make it um, to the mood. Um, I'll send it to you. It's called Ingrediente, and uh, it's it was really fun to work with Jovand and uh, Aj. Uh, they're they actually live in Baja now, and they talk about the Deckman's restaurant that's in the Valle de Guadalupe and kind of the transition uh, from doing you know readily available open um, seat uh, or layout of a restaurant that's outdoors and then COVID hit and that will do so yeah recordings became more prominent figuring out how to make a clearer sound via internet was very scarily fun (laughs) (laughs) and um, and then of course just kind of uh, realizing that it's okay to do things online do, do teaching online and have kids and parents be like, oh, yeah, this is a value, you know. That mm. was a hard thing. Yeah. Coaching orchestra online was the hardest thing. Oh, yeah, I bet. That was the nastiest, brutalest thing to do is to not be able to be there and help kids, you know. Right. Um, you feel like you want to just, like, reach through the computer and say, here, let me just see your violin and let me show you. But you can't because it's you, yeah. you know, they're far away. <laughs> Yeah, I I direct a band at the college, and that was pretty brutal trying to figure out what to do, you know. Yeah, so you you leave. know how that it goes, and not to mention how kids react or don't. Mm-hmm. And it's trying to go beyond it. Does it? How much does it hurt you versus them? Or in trying to make it interactive without losing your mind, <laughs> right? So, right. Um, so yeah. Luckily, since I like to tinker with things, I found different things to kind of keep the mind occupied but it was definitely um something that i'm still working on actually to get through <laughs> um, <laughs> because i don't know a lot of uh, sociologists and such they're, they're saying yeah it's going to take us a while to get through what we just went through you know and uh, how, how can i say uh process it and right. be be uh, and show kindness to others yeah, yeah. Throughout of this isolation, or some people think it never happened, you know. Right. So I, d- I think I saw a while ago. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking like a year ago, maybe more. Sure. You did like a streaming show or something. Yeah. Online. Yeah. Have you have you done a bunch of those, or was that just like a one off? Um, oh yeah. So during the pandemic, thank you for reminding. Um, yeah, I did probably sixty of those. Oh, okay. So I saw, that's <laughs> it's a lot okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of it was just so I wouldn't lose my chops. Yeah. Um, and people started requesting from, you know, because I have affiliates back east. I have some family in Puerto Rico and um, just affiliations back east. So it was a lot of fun to just reconnect with people. And I just go, hey, what request do you want to hear? And that just kind of became the thing, you know. Uh, just, just well, it also helped getting some monetary influence, you know. Yeah. Um, but it it was just a it was an interesting experiment to work on how to do live sound from home <laughs> and then also try to regulate how you're making that happen in real time and make it uh, because, you know, if you don't stream all the time, it's a it's a huge right. step. And then figuring out what works in front of a screen versus in front of people. Yeah, it's a huge curve to to figure out how to keep people immersed in it. So when you entertain people in person, it's a different energy completely. I think Colbert, Stephen Colbert said it the best, you know, as far as um, when you're live in front of an audience, being a host of something, you're 
you are a you are using the audience as an extension of yourself or an instrument. So they are the instrument, and that's how you can play off how to then gauge accordingly, right? Mm, so yeah. that's so that's that's kind of the the unique thing of learning how to do it without an audience actively engaging, you know, in in person, having to see their emojis, they're saying things, and without getting distracted. So, right. um, but that also helped doing community center in, endeavors or. Um, uh, what do you call it? Um, senior living places. So I did that for a year and a half. I just did one probably two and a half months ago with an accordionist friend of mine. And so now it's no big deal. <laughs> right. Playing live is like easy breezy now. Just And then streaming is just kind of like, yeah, just play. Don't worry about the uh, unusual amount of banter. Just keep going, you know? So, <laughs> right. So that's cool. Uh, so if you could go back, if somehow you could like, you know, time machine or whatever and, you know, give yourself some sort of advice when you were, say, in high school or early college mm. or something. Um, what might you say to yourself? And what, I, what I'm getting at is part of the point of this podcast is mm-hmm. that I, I teach a class filled with students who are looking at starting careers as in the music industry in some way, yeah. shape, or form, right? And so part of the point is to get them to interview people who do those things mm-hmm. and to kind of ask them, like, well, how do I get started and stuff? Yeah. So what what might you have as far as advice for either yourself, you know, 15 years ago or uh, or a student who's currently kind of, you know, 20 years old mm-hmm. and trying to figure out what to do? Well, um, it's kind of a two pronged answer. Um, it's OK to say no to things, but at the same time, one has to be open to accept different styles and approaches and that it's not always going to be exactly what you think it is. Um, and if you're open to it, more things will come without you expecting. But if you have specific criteria and expectations in which things must be, then you limit yourself severely and significantly. And uh, that's what I would tell myself. And then lastly, how, would you make, how do you make yourself different from everyone else? out of the millions of people that play or are in the arts, how are you different? So, and telling my younger self, I guess, I would just basically say, don't be afraid to engage with others. Because the more you can engage with others, the more you have to work with. If you have people on your side, it's a lot easier than it is with people being like, I don't know, you know. And a lot of gigs, are if are you cool with other people right right do you work well with others <laughs> i've been very fortunate to grow up with a large family and very fortunate to work with a lot of di- dynamic individuals but that's really at the end of the day uh, uh what i would say about that is uh, we we tend to get to now especially nowadays with being in these vacuums or echo chambers not realizing that other people exist <laughs> <laughs> and that the environment of playing involves other people and we have to consider dynamics instead of just taking all the time. We have to sometimes reach out to others and be like, Hey, you want to do something? Or Tasha has been always very good about that. But by the way, I just wanted to mention that. And Nathan's always been open and it's been really cool to do that with him as well. When it's, when it, when the time has occurred for that. 
particularly. So I hope I answered the question. No, I, yeah, you did, and I and I think that's good. I and and one thing that I a pet peeve I have mm-hmm. about uh, music schools just in general, mm-hmm. and I, I mean I I uh, I mean there are several, yes. but of course, yeah. I mean, and I kind of sort of am in charge of one, so maybe I'm part of the problem, mm-hmm. but is that we do tend to uh, train music train music students to be very narrow in expertise and ability when the fact is like you said if you're if you're expecting you know you, let's say you play violin right mm-hmm. okay well i'm just going to get an orchestra gig well you're probably not like the likelihood of like that's all you do is playing an orchestra all day long every day not that high maybe you'll get them occasionally but if you yeah. can play some other styles as well, now you've opened up all of those possibilities Cor- as correct. well, right? And and music schools are, do a really terrible job of that, I think. The sad thing is that whether we want to talk about systematic racism, which I know is a whole other thing about Western music and how it's been taught a certain way because of that's what we knew, whatever, or if we want to talk about how... Um, we basically discriminate against, dis- discriminate against others who play different styles. Yeah, totally. Which is, it's ridiculous. Um, and now, uh, because of how there's less orchestras in the United States and there's less players, now people are okay saying, oh, it's that's a certain type of skill set. Mm-hmm. My uh, my symphonic player friends, whenever I play like a, like a Manoush jazz gig or like a random like pop gig, they're like, yeah, that's an acquired you know, skill set. I'm like, yeah, you know, just like learning orchestral excerpts that, you know, it's sometimes you get that good audition. Sometimes you don't. Um, but the reality is that their mutual respect with younger players that are in orchestras and their willingness to play these types of pop gigs. Now it's, it's gone up a lot. Yeah. And it, it's very interesting because it wasn't too long ago where it was like, what are you doing? What is your problem? <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's, yeah, totally. Luckily, I mean, I went to yeah. college in a, in a in a time and place not that long ago, um, early two thousands. When, he, like, the college I went to when I started there, you couldn't even study jazz as like a legitimate, you know, you could you could be in the, playing the jazz band, mm-hmm. you could even get a scholarship for it, but there was no such thing as like studying that as your main focus, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And that was only twenty years ago. Um, yeah. Let alone you want to study hip hop or you want to study rock and roll mm. or something like that was absolutely unheard of, you know? Yeah. And it's similar with folk style of music. Sure. Like having, having to coach a mariachi every Thursday is like the weirdest thing. I'm like, I wasn't given sheet music. You had to just <laughs> know it, you know, you had to learn it yeah. from the recordings. And if you didn't learn it, just go back and listen to it. You know, it's, um, and it's just such an interesting scenario that we're in now where we're trying to diversify trying to include so many styles but yet it's going to take us a long time to get through all of these other issues that that has been occurring in in schools for so long or in society you know uh and it's like a lot of my students that play very well they all want to play classical composers they don't want to play stuff of their own cultural heritage yeah and it's kind of like why is why does that have to be the threshold why does it have to be that's where it has that's when you've made playing that piece then that then you've made it you know what i mean like yeah yeah that we're still holding up a bunch of dead german guys as the pinnacle and that's all that's worth striving for or something yeah and and it's funny is that 
what what's more curious is when you play songs that people know and they're like how did you know that song and i'm like um i i guess i'll conclude with this um with this topic here uh, without going into another um myself and ed kornhauser we played uh at, at the lion's manor which is downtown san diego and um the the coordinator lady was saying we have predominantly mandarin speaking and russian speaking speaking individuals so if you can play music uh that's chinese or russian please do and i'm like hmm okay i know i know dark eyes i know moscow moscow nights okay i'm like oh gosh okay i'm gonna have to find a bunch of chinese folk songs found them ed and i played through them next thing you know more than half the the group or the, the audience was dancing to it and singing along. Then when we went to the Russian songs, the Mandarin speaking folk were singing it in Mandarin while the Russians were singing in Russian simultaneously. Hmm. It's it was the most That's... peculiarly beautiful beautiful thing I've ever seen. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that that was by far one of those moments where I'm like, wow, this is really happening music does this and they were kind of showing us the tempos too because we didn't know the tempos you know yeah yeah and that 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 was probably the most amazing experience going like wow this is beyond what we are culturally but we're we're willing to try yeah you know and that's that's the thing i feel we forget as musicians the muses you know being you're just a vessel you know um it's not about you it's about how you share it you know so that that's kind of I always remember that moment and being like, does that work in context, as opposed to oh, let me show you, you know, something I worked up by these composers, you know, right? So yeah. Hey, well, great. Thanks for talking to me. This yeah, is, thank you. This is um, some good stuff. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> and I, hopefully we didn't go around the world uh, a zillion times and <laughs> make a random zigzags here and there oh um, that's the point so yeah for those that for those that are interested how could they find out more information about upcoming gigs or about you personally well um i i used to be better about this on my website but on my website i normally post what performances i'm doing oh and then uh, people also hit me up on my instagram and that is nico n-i-c-o-h-v-l-a um, that's my Instagram. And then you can just find me on Facebook if you prefer Nico Weso and I C O H U E S O. Um, and yeah, from there, that's normally how people find me and or co- contact me. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Try to make it simple. Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I'll make sure to include links to those things in the you know, in sure. notes and stuff. Yeah. I'd be delighted, um, to share. And this is an excerpt from a piece called Duende, written and performed by Nico. <laughs> <laughs> 